you know, Mother Teresa said this, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. You see, there is no substitute for love in a family. But toddler tantrums is an opportunity for you as a parent to show your child that you mean business, that you're not. So uh, let's pray today. Lord, we just open our hearts today and we ask in Jesus' name that, uh, uh, you know, as we gather and as we talk about something as sacred as family, that you by your spirit would enable us to understand, to see, to know, to grow, to learn, and um, so that we could have families that, that glorify you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen? Praise the Lord. Uh, so it's uh, really wonderful to see you all today. And um, so we've been going through a, a series called Supernatural. We started with Supernatural uh, Singles. We dealt with Supernatural Marriage. And, uh, <laughs> you know, in order to stay married in this world, you do need the supernatural power of God, and, um, uh, or at least to stay happily married. <laughs> and uh, so today we're going to deal with Supernatural Family, which again is such an important um, area. And so I, I just want to maybe give a, 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 a you know, a, a, an overview of sorts um, before we get into the discussion. I know Pastor Joanna's thing she wants to share as well, but um, I think you're going to find this helpful. Um, Ephesians 3 and verse 15 in the Amplified says, um, for whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that father from whom all fatherhood takes its title and derives its name. Um, you know, next Sunday is Father's Day, so it's so important, ladies. Don't forget, amen? You know, we don't forget you, so, you know, it's, it's, it's our turn next week. But, um, you know, it's interesting that the Bible says that the very concept of fatherhood comes from our Father in heaven. What was the first thing Jesus said? When you pray, say, our Father. And so, um, you know, the one thing that we see from this, it says that... Um, uh, it, it talks about from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And so uh, uh, there's a family in heaven uh, and on earth. And, um, you know, the same way as marriage is God's gift uh, to mankind, so too by extension is family. You see, family is an earthly reflection of a glorious heavenly reality. Amen. And so I thank God that there is a place called heaven where there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more heartbreak, no more separation. A place where we will be uh, reunited with our loved ones and our friends. And, um, you know, ju just as we live with our family on earth, the time will come when we live with our family in heaven. Uh, Revelation 21 talks about, it says, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And, and, and here we see God's original uh, you know, intention and purpose for mankind revealed, where God will dwell with us, we will dwell with him. You know, it's, it's, it's not about what we can do for God um, or even about what he can do for us. Ultimately, uh, you know, the, the, the message of Christianity is that God wants us to be members of his family. He didn't create us as robots or slaves. Um, you know, really, the, the, the story of the gospel is the story of a father and his family. Amen? 
And so, just as we will live with our family in heaven, one day, or on, on earth, one day we will live with our family in heaven. And that's why it's so hard to let our loved ones go. And um, because death doesn't break the familial bond. Because there's a connection between us as, as family members that, that goes beyond just mere flesh and blood. Um, I, I believe it's an eternal bond. And, um, y- you know, that's why all of us have this longing on the inside of us to see again those of our loved ones who have passed on um, uh, from this life. And this is why at times they even enter into our dreams. And um, because family is forever. And, and that's what you must understand, that, that you know, the grave doesn't you know, sever that bond. There is still a bond that exists. And so the good news is that heaven is one big family. And First um, uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, and, um, and it, it, it addresses this very issue with, with a promise. Um, you know, it talks about the end times, but it says, um, and thus we shall always be with The Lord, therefore, comfort one another with these words. So again, our focus isn't on the craziness that is happening around us or the signs of the times, etc. Our focus is on the fact that that our Lord Jesus Christ is returning and one day we will be with our Savior, our Father in heaven, but also with our loved ones who have gone before us. And so, this is the thing. We all desire um, to belong. Amen? And uh, praise the Lord for family. But... (laughs) Um, We all desire to belong. We all desire to be understood, to be valued, and to be loved. And it's within the context of family that we find this. And um, now you may say, well, what of those of of us who don't have family? And I know that there are people in church who maybe um, you're an only child and maybe your family have, have passed on or maybe you're here thousands of miles away from your family. Well, this is the beauty of church. We are family. Um, we're one body. The Bible says we're members together. And um, so all, we, all of us who follow Christ are, are, are a family. We're blood brothers and sisters um, through Christ. And this is why we must love and care for and pray for um, and stand with each other. Jesus said, by this all men will know you, my disciples, by your love for each other. So church is an earthly preparation for eternity. Um, you know, you look at church today and you see so many different nationalities and cultures and um, uh, backgrounds, and yes, we are family. We are one. Um, Revelation 7 9 gives us a snapshot of heaven. It says, um, I, I, I saw men and women of every tribe, every people. Have we got the screen yet? It says, I looked and behold a great multitude, no one could number, all nations. That's where we got the name of this church. Um, uh, tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And so, you know, heaven, there isn't a Filipino section, there isn't a Nigerian section, there isn't a European section, amen? In heaven, we're all together, and that's the way the church should be. The church should reflect heaven, okay? So, you know, it shouldn't be some kind of segregated group. Um, And so, this is the thing. Some of you have felt like you've never belonged anywhere, and you've struggled with that feeling uh, all of your life. Certainly, I did. That is, until you accept Christ and suddenly you have this sense of belonging to something that is bigger than yourself. Amen? And, and this is why, you know, this pervading sense of, of loneliness that, that really plagues our, our, our modern world, our, our generation, um, you know, really, 
the sense of, of, of loneliness our generation has, um, you know, is rooted in the fact that as a sinner, you're always alone. It doesn't matter, you may be in a, in a, in a crowded room surrounded by all of the people, whatever, but as a sinner, you're always alone because you're separated from God. You know, Ephesians 2 talks about that, that we were, that we were um, you know, and I'm going to hand it off to Joanna now in two seconds here, but I think this is important for us to, to grasp because, um, you know, family doesn't make sense unless you understand this. Um, it says that at one time you, were, uh, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the year, and uh, it says... Uh, uh, it says, you're fulfilling desires of the flesh and the mind, and you are by nature children of wrath. And um, it says, verse 12, at that time you're without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So we were without hope and we were without God. That is where every one of us were before Christ. And so you can never know true peace and happiness um, if you're on your way to hell. Because instinctively, mankind knows there's something wrong. They may have uh, the best education, they may have the best this world has to offer, and yet on the inside, people know there is something missing, something they're looking for. I remember as a little boy uh, thinking, you know, it's like a food I've never eaten, it's like a place I've never been. Uh, I don't know what it is, but I know it's not this. Um, you know, when I was in parties, when I was out in the nightclubs, when I was, you know, uh, in relationships, uh, there was always something on the inside of me saying, no, it's not this. And so, th this, this is, uh, you know, the emptiness that's in the inside of people. And um, so, this is the thing. Um, people, think they're, uh, people think they're lonely, when in reality, they are alone. And, and there's a difference. Uh, it's not just the case that people are lonely. They are alone. Because until you know Christ as your Savior, you are alone. The world may celebrate you. You may accomplish the greatest things in the world. But without Christ, you are all alone. And this is why people keep up with this feverish pace of working and studying and buying and spending and traveling and partying and saving and arguing. You know, uh, uh, because... They want to do anything other than face the silence and the emptiness that they're so conscious of on the inside. Because we live in a generation that rejects the idea of family and rather instead embraces the, the, the uh, you know, emphasizes the individual. You know, and, and so we're living in, in a generation where rights are demanded and responsibilities are ignored. And, you know, we'll probably deal with more of that next, next Sunday. But this is where, you see, our generation teaches, you know, acts like children are an inconvenience um, to living your best life now. Where, you know, the unborn are denied the right to life um, because we've embraced this narcissistic, selfish way of living. And, um, you know, whereby, you know, our personal desires and our, our personal happiness and comfort supersedes all else, even the right of a child to take the first breath. And yet, this is what I wanted to get to. Uh, I know it's probably a lengthy way of doing so, but th the paradox is this. You know, in a society where sin and selfishness and greed and personal fulfillment and unbridled hedonistic excess is pursued and celebrated, Unhappiness is always the result 
Because ironically, pursuing your own happiness doesn't make you happy. Okay? And this is why life is made to be shared with others. And this is why God created family. Because if you arrive at a place called success alone, that's not success, that's failure. You know, and this is why Jesus said, what's the profit of man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So we were created for family. We were created, um, uh, you know, to have children. We were created for marriage. And, uh, and, and so when you connect with that, you're connecting with God's purpose uh, for your life. Amen. Praise the Lord. Oh. Um, I just want to read Proverbs 22, verse 6, and I'm going to read it in the New King James, but then I'm going to read it in the Passion. I think it's beautiful. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, when, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And then in the Passion, it says, dedicate your children to God and point them in the way that they should go, and the values they've learned from you will be with them for life. And it's funny, growing up as a mom with five kids, people used to say, so what do you do? You know, you meet somebody and you say, uh, you know, what, what's your occupation? What, you, what do you do? And in the beginning, I used to apologize a little bit, say, oh, I'm, just, I'm just a housewife. Stay at, I'm a stay-at-home mom. And over the years, I, I, I realized I was making a mistake when I was saying that because truly when you are... Um, you have the responsibility, depending on how many kids you are, but I had the responsibility of five children, five lives that I was going to mark for life just by being a mother, by inputting into them for 18 years. It's an awesome task, and it's not something we should dismiss and just say, I'm just a mom. Listen, it's a ministry, it's a calling, and you're equipped by God to do it. God has given you that grace to do it because it's not easy. It's not easy when you're you know, not getting any sleep and it's constant dirty nappies and puke and tantrums and all these different things. But God has called you to do it as a mother and as a, you know, as a father, obviously he doesn't do maybe quite the same roles in the domestic side of things, although you have changed your fair share of dirty nappies. Um, I've changed some champion nappies. <laughs> I mean, they should have been put in a glass case for posterity. I mean... How could so much come out of a little person? <laughs> I used to call the bad ones Mr. Whippies. <laughs> they went everywhere. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Let's keep it. Let's keep it clean. <laughs> anyway, it's 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 a wonderful responsibility, and I love that word train. When I think of the word train, well, I think of, first of all, I think of an athlete. You know, maybe he's training for a competition. There's a lot of effort involved and persistence and determination but also what training is it's it's marking somebody it's instilling values into them it's showing them the correct way the problem i think a lot of times in the world is a lot of kids haven't been shown the right way the moral compass is, has vanished and so the world is just allowing them to just give whatever values they want, what they see on their screen, and you know, even sometimes what they hear in the home. So um, training is, is the action of teaching a person a particular skill or type of behavior, but it's not just merely words. We need to remember that as parents. Training isn't just in teaching your child and training them up in the way they should go. It's just about what you say to them. It's how you live your life in front of them. And that is huge. Children see through hypocrisy, 
you know, they see when something isn't fair, they see when you don't keep your word, they see everything. And so it's like they have this magnifying glass and they can see everything that's going on. And you know, the way you respond to dad, the way you, you know, even address them, ask them to do things, they are picking up absolutely everything. So it really is, it's challenging because you know, when you're single, you, you, you're not really, nobody's really look. if you're on your own, nobody's really looking at you and, and, and picking things up. But when you have kids, it's, when you first get married, you have your husband and that shines a mirror on you. But when you have kids, it's like a huge, huge magnifying glass. And that's where you need the grace of God. You need the power of God to be a parent uh, in today's world. There's no doubt. Um, I, I've observed over the years, you know, sometimes just even being in kids ministry, and knowing a parent, and the child says something the way the parent does, or they have the facial expressions, or the manners, oh, they're just like their, their mother, but you know, you gotta think about that, the f positively and negatively, how they are influenced. And so, you know, we have sometimes just have to stand back and say, you know, how am I coming across to my child? When I'm asking them to do something, do I get up to 100 before I've even asked them the question? Do I get worked up? Do I get it into a temper? Because that's what you're gonna reproduce in your child. What you, what, the way you respond to them, the way you uh, act towards them is exactly what you're gonna get back from them. So if you respond in love, you, you'll, you know, you will reap love. So as parents, we are constantly sowing seeds. Think about it. One of the biggest things children ask you, particularly growing up, is constantly questions. Why this? Mom, what, what about this? Dad, what's this? You're constantly teaching them. It doesn't just happen in school being educated. They're at home asking you all these questions because they look up to you and they think you, they think you have all the answers, which obviously we don't. And I often say to the kids, I don't have all the answers. You know, they look up to you. And as the teen years come, they kind of don't look up to you quite as much. Um, but you know, you, you are there for them. You're there to answer questions. You're sowing seeds into their lives that will grow, that will reproduce. And so it's really important, very sobering how we do that. Um, and to remember as well that we're not their buddy. This is something that a lot of parents, you know, as they get older in the teen years, they think, oh, you know, I have to dress, <laughs> I have to be really cool because, you know, my, my daughter says to me, you know, mom, you're just not cool. And then she goes into my wardrobe and takes my clothes and I'm just like, the, you know, come on, like, you must think I'm cool if you can wear my clothes. <laughs> but, you know, as they get older, they don't think you're as cool. But a lot of parents, if they want to be on the same par, the same level as their children, it, it does not work. Maybe when you're in your 40s and you have that friendship with your, your mom or your dad, but, but not in the years where you are instilling into them and disciplining them. You can't be on the same level as them. That's a big mistake. And so, and disciplining, it's not just, you know, we don't do that. Like, now you can't even spank your child. I mean, when we were, when, when our kids were small, there was, no, there was no law. You could give them a little whatever, but now it's like you're, you're abusing your child, you know, train up a child and, and you know, the rod of correction and all that. And, but um, disciplining is, it's not just, it's not about punishment. Discipline is about teaching them to live a disciplined life. Teaching them self-control, you know, not bite your brother when you're mad or, you know, taking things from a child or breaking, breaking. Some children are allowed right on the walls of their house. Some children are allowed to just do whatever they like. But listen, that's not the kind of child I want to bring up. I want to bring up a child that respects property, respects me, respects others. And we are a reflection of how, what we teach our children. I don't want somebody looking and going, 
you know, I can't believe so one of my kids is like that, but, and it's because of me. So it's, it's, a, it's really, really important that we remember to discipline them. And it's a momentum that grows over the years. Disciplining doesn't start, okay, when they're 12. It starts from, from as soon as they're little babies. Toddlers, toddler tantrums, and I don't call them the terrible twos, I call them the terrific twos, amen? But toddler tantrums is an opportunity for you, as a parent, to show your child that you mean business, that you're not allowing them to control and manipulate the environment in the home, because if let, they will. And you as the parent, you let them know who's boss. And that, that's, not, that's not being dictatorial or whatever. It's, it's taking your godly place as a parent showing them that this will not happen. Can you, I remember watching this ad on the TV and the kids were in tantrums all around the mother and the mother was just didn't know what to do. And the next minute, she just stops and she just starts stamping her feet and pulling her hair and screaming and all the children stop and look at the mom like, what are you doing? But that's exactly what they were doing. But she was showing them how ridiculous, how ridiculous it was and that she didn't uh, another one I saw, a child, it was a little um, video clip on Facebook, and this child is outside this glass door, and the, the parent's inside, the child's outside, and the child's ah! screaming like this. <laughs> and then the parent gets this whipped cream and just squeezes it into the child's mouth to get them to stop. I'm going like, come on now, if you can't get your child to stop screaming, putting whipped cream in their mouth, there's something wrong. You know, so, um, ch children controlling their parents has become quite the norm now. But it's not godly. Because if you allow your child to control you when they're a baby, can you imagine what happens when you get to the teen years? And I remember my, my little girl, Naomi, quite headstrong. She's not in the room at the moment, so I can say this. But um, she was only about five months old, and she was in her high, high chair, and she was just starting solid food. And she really did not like what she was getting. And I had pureed it, I had cooked it and pureed it, and I said, you know what, this girl is going to eat this food. <laughs> because this is the start of solids, They're, you know, they, they need to learn. So she was there, and my friend was actually in the, in the sitting room at the time, and I was giving, and she kept doing, you know the way they do it, they go like this, and they make this, this face, and she was spitting it out, and she was crying, and I just said, Naomi, I said, you are going to eat this, and I made her finish the <laughs> My friend probably thought I was, I was like, oh, this is an awful parent. But you know what? After that, she, everything I gave her, she ate it. Because I had established a precedent that she was not deciding what she was going to eat. Now, if it was something really horrible and I tasted like, okay, I'm not going to give it to her. But it was, it was just carrot and potato. I mean, something you want your child to eat when they're older. But, but this is the thing. I could have decided there and then, you know what, it's much, it's much less hassle. And this is what we do as parents. We think it's much less hassle just to let them, and I, I'll go into the, go and buy, get a packet of something and give it to them. But that, in the inside of me, I knew it wasn't right. And it's much less hassle to give your child a tablet, you know, to get them yeah. to stay quiet. It's much less hassle to do a lot of things, but in the end, is it worth it? And that's the thing you've got to ask yourself. So, and that's, and that's yeah. how you end up getting 18-year-old kids that only eat chips and nuggets. Because as a parent, you didn't deal with them when they were five. And he's gone out on his first date, and all he can eat is nuggets and chips. <laughs> I'm, you know, genuinely, I see adults that are like that. And they don't eat veg, and, they don't, and it's simply because it's, you know, the mother or father just didn't deal with this thing in the bud. Sorry, carry on. 
But, but they say the children's taste buds develop in the first few, few months, early years of their, of their growing up. So often as what, what we do as parents, if we don't like a certain food, we won't give it to our children. And I found that, like, I, I like more bland vegetables, I wouldn't give them peppers, courgettes. So then when I wanted to give them peppers and courgettes, I couldn't. So I had to blend them secretly. Anyone do the secret blending in the blender? You can put any kind of food in, and they don't know what it is. And they don't ask usually. So, but, but that's what I'm saying. We tend to avoid giving our kids what we didn't like ourselves. And that's, that's a mistake in itself. We need to just... You know, we, need to, we have to be led by the Spirit when it comes to our kids in every area. When it comes to food, comes to their, what they're watching, when it comes to attitude. Attitude is such a big one. Nipping that in the bud before they get into those teen years and the hormones. I mean, they change overnight. Literally, they change from being this sweet little thing. And you watch those home videos, you go, oh my God, I can't believe they were like that. And then suddenly, it's like... This attitude, you know, Mom, why weren't you there to collect me on time? Mom, what are we having for dinner? Are we having this again? I'm like, come on, I don't let them do that. I mean, I have to stop them because I don't want them to turn out brats oh, you know, you, later in life. <laughs> you, 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 you tuck your little kid into bed, you go downstairs, you know, the next morning, you, you, you call them, they're like, yes. You're like, what happened? <laughs> well, you know, welcome to the teenage years. Strap on your seatbelt. Um, Deuteronomy 30 verse 19 Today I've given you the choice between life and death Between blessings and curses Now I call in heaven and earth to witness the choice you make Oh that you would choose life So that you and your descendants might live And so as parents we have such an important uh, responsibility to choose life and to make the right choices, even if they're painful choices, because our children will do what we do, not what we say. They will follow our example. And this is what a lot of Christians don't necessarily understand. You know, and, and just like um, Pastor Joanna, you know, dealt with there in terms of uh, discipline, um, uh, you know, and, you know, following on from that really is example. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, imitate me, even as I imitate Christ. And so, you know, your children will imitate you. They'll imitate the good, but they'll also imitate the bad. And um, this is why we need discernment, particularly those of us who've come to Christ in later years, to be able to discern between, and, and I guess to have the humility to acknowledge the things in our family that were good, and the things that maybe weren't so good, and so that we uh, don't reproduce everything that we saw and heard, because not everything we saw was good. So um, you reproduce after your own kind. Um, as the Bible says, you reproduce who you are. And, and this is again why, uh, you know, I suppose, um, Pastor Joanna just mentioned it there, in terms of being uh, discerning about what you're allowing your kids to watch, if, if you're watching, if you're allowing your kids to watch a whole lot of, you know, uh, uh, rubbish that's, that's on TV, um, you know, uh, right now we're in so-called Pride Month, um, it, you know, I believe we're in Preach Month, uh, you know, the Bible says preach the word, and um, we're going to, you know, we've been doing a lot of evangelism, and we're going to be doing the rest of this month, but I refuse to allow this month to be given over to, you know, uh, dedication to what is a, a pagan deity of, of perversion and, uh, 
you know, decadence. It's, it's uh, so, uh, but, but certainly for me as, as, as a father, I may not be able to, to you know, choose every, uh, or to control everything that our government and, and our society and the whole corporate world chooses to endorse or push, but I can certainly choose about what I allow into my home. That's why, you know, probably 10, 15 years ago, we got rid of Sky because I didn't want my kids watching, you know, all of this, um, you know, there's so much propaganda and so much kind of woke messaging there. Um, I, I'm not going to be paying for that and I'm not going to be allowing my kids to be brainwashed by that. And so um, we just switched it off. And we, we, you know, we bought them Christian DVDs. We got, you know, and, and so we controlled what they were watching. And um, because I believe you have a responsibility as a parent, because kids are like wet concrete. They're very impressionable, those impressionable early years. And, um, and let me say, that's why there is these uh, demonic uh, agendas, these, these, these evil people that are out there seeking to influence your kids, seeking to plant thoughts in their hearts, seeking to tell them who they are. And, um, and you know, if you don't tell your children who they are, the world will. And, um, and this is why, uh, you know, we have to be so discerning and we have to, you know, be, be prayerful and, uh, and, and led by the Spirit in terms of what influences we allow our kids. Um, because when I see parents, let me say this, when I see parents handing a phone to their kids just to get them quiet, particularly little kids, kids two, three years old, you're a maniac. You might as well be handing them crack cocaine. They're, those kids are going to get addicted to that thing. And that's why you have little kids who will not be quiet and will not give their parents a moment's peace until they have that, that thing in their hand. And, um, you know, I see kids there. Sometimes I'm out in shops and kids practically walking into walls because they become walking zombies, you know. And, um, you know, I'm not against technology um, in its place. But, you know, you have to... Um, you know, limit, uh, you know, their exposure to that. I'm not saying they can't have a phone or can't have a tablet, but if they have it from, uh, you know, in their hand every waking moment of the day, that's, that's a major mistake. And, um, you know, the reality is the time, the time will come when, when your kids will maybe embrace all sorts of ideas that are contrary to what you hold to as a Christian simply because they've been brainwashed by either TV or by computer or by, or by a phone. And so we have to use wisdom because this is the generation we're in. We didn't have this issue 20 years ago, but we certainly have it now. And so we have to, uh, you know, make the necessary adjustments. But the, the thing is this, um, it, it, it's it, one thing children hate is hypocrisy and double standards. And so there's no use you telling your kids, put down your phone when you never put it out of your hand yourself. Thank you for that one, amen. Um, so our example, and so our example is so important because our children will walk in our footsteps. So if serving God isn't important to you, it won't be to your kids either because your children see exactly who you are. There's nowhere to hide when you have kids, nowhere. Amen. Um, uh, you can put on a church face when you're single or when you're on your own. But when you, when you get married and have kids, your children see who you are. And so, you know, many, children, many parents neglect going to church or serving or honoring God. And then they wonder why their kids grow up and walk away from God when they are old enough to make the decision. 
There's a Bible verse that says, train up a child, Pastor John addressed it earlier, when, uh, when, uh, train up a child in which they should go, when they're old they will not walk in it. Training them up isn't just saying, do this and don't do that. Training them up is showing them by your example. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, uh, there was a time when people didn't go to college to learn a skill. They, they, you know, to learn a trade or to learn a, a skill, they, they, they would have had a, a mentorship program where somebody was showing you how to do it. And parenting is very much like that. We have to show them by living it. So there's no use telling them to do something you're not doing yourself. And so um, they will follow your bad example. Um, uh, and so I believe in living this. You know, we're the same people as at home as we are here in the church. Most of the time. Most of the time, you know. Um, but, you know, we took our kids to church when, we, when they were little. I mean, um, yeah, well, we can, we can get to that in a moment. But I'd say when they were little, we went to church. I mean, we had church twice, twice a day. We just morning and we did an evening service. And we would often take the kids to church in the evening. And I remember one by one, when we'd get home, they'd be all asleep. Johnny would have them in their, in their jammies and their little jumpsuits. And um, one by one, I'd go down to the car, take them upstairs, tuck them in bed, go down, get the next one. And, and uh, you know, because they, they were all very little. Um, but, but we did that because we felt it, it was important. And, um, but it established a pattern in their lives. And that pattern was God comes first. I mean, I see some people, they have a kid and they check out a church for two years. Oh, it's so hard, Pastor John. Uh, you, you. Listen, if, if you won't serve God when they're little and, and show them the importance of serving God. I mean, let me say this, parents missing at church every second, every second week or sometimes come to church once a month because, oh, they're on a soccer team. Well, they're in the wrong soccer team or they're playing the wrong sport. Um, you know, my oldest son, he gave up soccer um, because we were going to church every Sunday and they changed the matches to Sundays. Um, my, my third my middle child, Christian, loves soccer. My boys, they love soccer. They talk soccer. I don't have a clue who they're talking about, but I sometimes pretend, but, you know, I don't have a clue what they're talking about. I don't. But uh, they love soccer. I mean, and, and, and you know, they're good at it. My, my son... He loves scoring goals. I remember when he was little. Um, I'll deal with that next week in, in, in uh, the father's message. But, but every week, you know, I take him to training. I take him twice a week to training and then match on a, sun, on a Saturday. But um, the, the, the team he was on, they, uh, they said, look, we're changing to Sundays. Um, and the, the trainer was telling all the boys. And my son put my hand up, his hand up. And uh, he said, any problems with that? And my son said, um, I won't be able to go. He says... Um, he says, we go to church on Sundays. And the trainer was so, he was so impressed, but he was also shocked. He said, um, he said uh, he says, you're training up your boy the right way. He says uh, that he's not going to be there if the matches are Sundays. I said, yeah, that's the case. And uh, so thankfully they had another team that plays on Saturdays, so he was able to transfer to them. But, but you know what, for us, it's not because we're ministers, it's because we're Christians. And I think that's important to understand. Our faith isn't something that, that we do as a preference. It's something that we do as a conviction. Because the times may, may come, and we've seen it over COVID, where uh, if this isn't a conviction, then you are going to fall to the side. And you are going to, um, uh, because there are, you know, there are agendas at play right now in the world we're in that, that, that want to, to make you uh, put your faith subservient to the things of the world, whether it's, you know, kiss the pride flag or, you know, I mean, uh, or, or, or uh, you know, all of the other various agendas that are at play. Um, 
is this a conviction or is this a preference? This is the question all of us have to ask and will be forced to ask more increasingly, I believe, as the days go on. The early Christian church had to face this where, you know, the, the, the pagans demanded, offer a pinch of incense to Caesar and say, Caesar is Lord and you can go free. And yet so many of them ended up being thrown to, uh, to lions, killed by bears, gladiators in, in the arenas of Rome and throughout the Roman world, simply because they would not utter that phrase, Caesar is Lord. Because they knew that Jesus is Lord. But we have to, we're facing the same thing. It's just coming in a different way. It's the same spirit, you know. And, and so, anyway, you know, by infer, you know, related to that is how we bring up our kids and the values we hold. Are we going to apologize and are we going to compromise in order to fit in? Or are we going to hold true to biblical truth? And the beautiful thing about it was is that Christian knew not to go to dad and say, God, I want to do Saturday, Sunday training because it was instilled in him, you go to church on Sunday. He had the courage to put his hand up and actually the Lord honored it because the team he was on, he, hadn't really, he, was okay, he wanted to be on a, a different team that his friends were on and it was a better team and that was the team he was transferred to. So the Lord blesses you when you put him first. That's scripture in Matthew 6, 33. Seek, Seek first course. the kingdom of God and his righteousness and his righteousness, his way of doing things and all things will be added to you. And I've seen it time and time again, but so sad that so many people get it wrong. They miss it because they're not putting God first. They're putting the person first, the relationship first, the job first, but it all starts at a young age prioritizing thing and children need to know that they have boundaries there's some things that our children will they won't come to us about anymore because we know as soon as they come to them it's it's no and that's the thing that they will test you they will tempt you they will try you you know mom can I go say just give an example can I go to the to the party and this you know the late night party whatever and that was you know we're in the teen years now and one of the kids was asking me that and I, I was like immediately no you're not going but if I had kind of gone, mm, well, you know what, maybe I'll just ask dad, you know, I, they think they've got a loophole, but any time it was mentioned, no. And so now they don't, when the, the parties are on now, they don't even ask me because they know, they know where they stand. They're 15, they're 16, they're just, they're just too young. And so we have to be very, let our yes be yes and our no be no when it comes to our kids. We need to be firm and that's, and that's because you love them. It's speaking the truth in love. The children don't always understand these things, but I reassure them. I say, oh, guys, it's because we love you. We want you on the right path. We're not trying to spoil your fun, but you may have fun. It's like sin is pleasurable for a season, but then it, it ends and it's, it's horrible. And so we, we explain these things, explain things to your children. They don't understand sometimes. You have to make it very clear to them. But boundaries are so important in their lives. And then they will operate within those boundaries and they feel safe within those boundaries. But a child without any boundaries actually doesn't feel safe. They feel insecure. And so it's our duty to give it to, to them. And it's our God-given responsibility as parents to make sure that we have those boundaries. You know, parenting is a privilege. I want to read a scripture. I love this scripture. It's in Psalm 127, uh, verses 3 to 5. And it says, in, in the Passion, it says, children are God's love gift. Okay, so they're not a burden. They're God's love gift. They are heaven's generous reward. Children to a young couple will one day rise to protect and provide for their parents. Happy will be the couple who has many of them. A household full of children will not bring shame on your name, 
but victory when you face your enemies for your offspring will have influence and honor to prevail on your behalf so like we don't see uh, parenting as a burden we love spending time with our kids we love doing things with them i mean they're getting to that age where they don't always want to do things with us and that's that's fine you know that you have to give them as as they grow older the boundaries change and you get you start to give them a little bit more you know i i there's things i would let my son older son do now that i would never have let him i wouldn't have let him go into dublin on the on a bus when he was 12 but now he's you know, he's nearly 18, he does a lot of things. He's a lot more freedom than he had, but you have to be, do it age appropriate. You don't give them, um, you know, that extra freedom before it's really time for them. And you have to be sensitive to that. And you have to be on the same page when it comes to parenting. There's no point in me having certain standards and he doesn't, or vice versa. We have to discipline together. And because children will play off one parent you're, off the other. You're heirs together of the grace of life. You, and so you're in this together, you're yeah. a team. And it's so important that you have the same values. And that's why, again, it comes back to the beginning in terms of the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked together. Don't yeah. marry somebody that's not a Christian because yeah. when you have kids, World War III is going to break yeah. out because you will have different yeah. values, different standards, and uh, it's, it won't end well. Yeah, and teaching, teaching them obedience is so important. I mean, think about it as children of God, as, as sons and daughters of God, how important it is for us to obey our Heavenly Father. But we are teaching them here, our children, if, ob obedience to us as parents, which ultimately will re make them obedient as, as, as children of God to their Heavenly Father. So obedience is so important. And that obedience is a prompt obedience. It's no use saying, you know, I, sometimes I say to my kids, you know, go up and, and clean up that Lego that's been lying there for like three months, <laughs> you know. And, oh, yeah, 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 yes, mom. I went, I know they're not going to do it. I said, no, I, I seriously, I want you to go into your room and I want every piece of that Lego picked up. And sometimes they'll say yes and they don't do it. That's not obedience. Saying yes, but not putting action to your, to your words. It's, it's disobedience. And so... Teaching your children obedience is so important. You know, it says in, um, if we just turn to Ephesians uh, 6, if, if I could have it up on the screen, um, Ephesians 6, verse 1, it says, um, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Keep moving. Yeah. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And, and fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. It's interesting, it says Father's Day. We're going to have a Father's Day message next week about fathering and, and parenting as well. But, but I think it's, it's really important that we teach them to honor us as parents because it's a principle in the Word of God that, that their life will go well. When you honor your parents and you honor those in authority over you, even you know, in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the church as well, you have a, there's a blessing that comes on you. But there's so much disobedience in the world that we're living in right now. There's you know, people breaking the law, break, you know, violence, all these different things. I really do believe society would be different if we had people training their kids up in the ways of God. But it's interesting, it says not to provoke your children. Sometimes we can provoke our children by just picking at the smallest things that really aren't that significant. You know, you need to remember to pick your battles. What is it that I really want to achieve here? What is the more important thing? Not constantly picking at them because that really provokes them and it can get them, 
stirred up and very angry, you know. And, and so that's why, you know, we've, we've dealt with uh, discipline and we've dealt with our example, because you can't have one without the other. One undermines the other, actually. Um, you know, disciplining your child when you don't do it yourself, that completely undermines what you're trying to do. But, you know, the, the, the third one I would like to, to deal with before we finish is, and is so important, and that is love. You know, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, love never fails. And so, um, you know, Mother Teresa said this, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. You see, there is no substitute for love in a family. And um, really, it is love that makes um, a house a home. And it's love that, that, that really uh, ties a family together. The book of Colossians says that love is the bond of perfection. And so there's no substitute for love in a family. And, um, you know, w we follow a very simple motto in ministry. We've been pastoring this church for the last 15 years. And, and that motto is family first. Um, because, uh, you know, people will come at you with all sorts of needs and requests and, um, you know, verging from, you know, some major issues in their lives to things that are completely irrational or, you know, inconsequential. But, um, you know, many times people want uh, you to come over to them straight away or to deal with the situation straight away. And so, you know, we've had to learn how to create boundaries in our personal life. Um, because, you know, I'm very conscious of the fact that you can um, spend your life trying to win the world and lose your family. And, and that in itself is, is a complete failure. Um, because, like I said, you can win the world, and if, you lose, if you've lost your family, then, you know, you, you failed as a minister, in my opinion. And so I'm so grateful to see our children coming along with us in this walk. But I believe love is so important to, to, to love and to encourage your children. And, um, you know, too many times you have the world trying to tell them who they are. And, you know, the, the Bible says the, the devil is the accuser of the brethren. And so it's important as parents that we're not doing the devil's work of accusing them and putting labels on them and saying you're this and you're so much that and you're whatever. Um, and, yeah, they may be far from perfect, but so are all of us. And so we need to instill things in them. We need to encourage them. You know, what did God say to, to Moses before he died? He said to jo about, to, about Joshua, he said, encourage him. <laughs> encourage him because he's going to possess the land. And so we need to encourage our children. And um, uh, so, because this is the thing, if we can't love and care for our family, 1 Timothy chapter 3, I want to read it here. And, you know, Timothy is a book that's written to leaders. If you, if you aspire to leadership, if you want to be a leader, I would encourage you to read First and Second Timothy, wonderful book. But First Timothy chapter 3, and it says, um, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, and hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, uh, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, um, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. When it's talking about in submission, it doesn't mean that you're domineering and you're abusing your family. It just simply means that your children have been disciplined and they know right from wrong and they're respectful, you know. And, um, uh, and, uh, but anyway, it says, um, uh, for if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how would he take care of the church of God? So, you know, the Bible is very clear that it's, if, if your house is in chaos, you are not qualified to lead the house of God. And, um, you know, so that's quite sobering. And so it says, if you don't lead your family well, you're not qualified to lead in the body. So we lead with love, 
and I think that's important. And, and we lovingly um, serve um, our, our wife and our family. And, um, you know, I, I worked at a secular job for 20 years to provide for my wife and my kids. And I, I used to laugh when people used to say to me, oh, you're a bivocational minister, as if anybody actually chooses to work 80 hours a week. No, I, I was working 40 or 50 hours a week with the job I had, and then working another 30 odd hours, I guess, every week or 40 hours for the church for free. But I, I was doing that because I, I was doing what was needed to be done. And that's, as a man, that's what we do, or what we're meant to do. I think it's a tragic indictment of our society right now that, that um, you have to get a court to, to order a man to provide for his own children. I think that's tragic. It's a tragic reflection. Because, you know, if it's your child, it's your bill. Amen. Thank you for that silence. Um, but, but anyway, um, I, I worked at the job because... Um, I was simply doing what was necessary to provide for my wife and my kids. And, you know, some men put their family through grinding poverty um, uh, naively um, and foolishly out of, uh, this, you know, in the name of answering the call. And, um, you know, you can answer the call just as well by working a full-time job and paying your bills as you can by, uh, you know, uh, being in poverty. And so, you know, at times people do this because they lack wisdom or because they're selfish. And so we have to be mindful of the timings and the seasons of God. You may be called to the ministry, um, but the, Paul spoke about, um, Paul, Paul called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. There's a wonderful book by Bob Yandian talk, talking about calling and separation. And so you need to be um, sensitive to the, to the timings of God because you may be called, uh, but, but it may not be time for you to be separated to the gospel, okay? So um, he changes the times and the seasons. And so where God guides, he provides. And if God's called you to do something, he will provide for it. And if it's not happening, it may be an indication that either you're not called to do it or B, it's not the season um, uh, for that. And so sometimes we need to have the humility to acknowledge exactly where we are. And, um, you know, our ministry was in its infancy 15 years ago. And um, the reality is, is we were struggling to, to even pay the rent. And it was a battle just to pay the bills. And so the, 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 clearly the church wasn't in a position to be able to provide for us. And so, you know, we did what we had to do. And um, I was working, uh, you, you know, in the secular arena. And Joanna was working in the home. And, you know, every mother works. And I think it's, it's a gross insult uh, and, and I want to touch on that because I think it's, it's such an insult um, to women when politicians, you know, uh, start going on about these glass ceilings and about how women are so impressed because they're, you know, not CEOs and they're not leading companies. I mean, you know, most people aren't CEOs or leading companies. I mean, it's a very small percentage of people. But this attitude that... Um, uh, you know, that because uh, women aren't working, it's somehow because they're disadvantaged or oppressed. The fact is, a lot of women choose to be at home with their children. And, you know, they're not second-class citizens. And, you know, they're there because they've chosen to do so. 
And, and we should honor them for that choice, just as, as, as women who choose to, you know, have a full-time career, you know, we honor and love them as well. It's not either or, but, but, but certainly, like I said, when, when politicians act like, you know, that my wife is at home because, oh, because we don't provide enough childcare or because, you know, you could have offered her a million euros and she wouldn't have done it. She wanted to be at home with her children, um, you know, to, to, to raise them. And so, I, I, certainly I think it's something we need to pray about as a society because, you know, so much of the chaos and lawlessness and problems and dysfunction we're dealing with in our society is rooted in, in, in the fact that children aren't being parented properly, you know, because... You know, you put them into a creche, that's fine, but those people are there because they're paid to care. I mean, you know, a mother doesn't have to be paid. She, she does it because that's, she's called to care. Do you understand the difference? And um, so, anyway, that's... that's. And just, just one last thing, actually, it just came to me there, and I, I remember hearing uh, Lisa Bevere talk about this. Uh, it's so important that we have the humility as parents to sometimes to apologize to our kids. You know, if we had a, you know, gave out to them and, and it was, we went a bit across the line when it came to the temper or we made a mistake. How do we expect them to say sorry when they make a mistake if we can't do it? And it's not undermining your, your parenting by doing that. It's just acknowledging, you know what, I, I made a mistake. And, and so the Lord had been kind of dealing with me lately about doing that. And I just noticed the difference in my kids. They were, it was like, wow, <laughs> mom apologized. <laughs> you know, it was, it's refreshing. And they need it. They need to know that you make mistakes too, because none of us are perfect. We've all blown it when it comes to kids, particularly in the area of temper. You know, sometimes it's like, you know, your temper is, is, is challenged. And so you're, you're not your temper, your emotions and your, the self-control is, is hard to, to keep at, at the right level. So I think it's important to, you know, to be humble as parents as well. Not like, I, you know, we know it all and you're, you're just, you don't know it and whatever. So uh, it's a journey and it takes time. And you don't stop parenting them when they turn 18. You're, you're parents for life. It's just your influence isn't quite the same. But you still are always there for them and you're always praying for them. Now, I'm sorry we didn't have time for questions today, but um, it's just one o'clock. And, and, and know but that we're not speaking today from a place of having arrived or a place of perfection. We're far from perfect. God is working on us. I mean, you know, just a couple of days ago, I was, I was trying to fit a windowsill, and I, I, was, I was very, very tired. I, I did, we've just had so much work going on. And, you know, thank you so much oh, to yes. everybody. Thank you to everybody who came yesterday. in the week. We had about 20 yeah. people come. It's God amazing. God bless you all. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. But um, I, I was working on this, and it just wouldn't fit for me. I tried cutting it, and I tried anything with wood. You know, I've worked as a mechanic for years as a kid, and uh, I'm, I, metal is, is good. Wood, you know, Jesus was a carpenter, I'm not. And um, I've come up with some really ugly things down through the year, but I was trying to make this windowsill fit, and I, it was late in the day, I was tired, and... I, I put it in place, next to it, it popped out and it just, it, it, it kind of made a big mess. I put caulk everywhere and I started cursing this, this, this windowsill. <laughs> I cursed it like it was, you know, I'm not proud, I'm just acknowledging, you know, some of the, the old language came out and uh, I cursed that thing in Jesus' name. And, and I, no, and anyway, I got up, I walk out of the sitting room, and my two boys are there. 
My two little boys, I didn't realize they heard me. I was like, oh, Jesus, I felt so guilty. I was like, man, I'm a sinner. I need to get saved. I'm like, you know, I just got in the flesh. And none of us are beyond getting into the flesh, okay? I, I, you know, hopefully we're, we're getting to the place where it's far less frequent, but at times we get in the flesh. Anyway, I apologize to the boys because they're not used to hearing that around our house. We don't use that, that language, but um, daddy just got in the flesh. And um, so pray for me, okay? Uh, as a pastor, I, I'm not looking to be on a pedestal. I'm far from perfect. Any of you that know me know that, and I appreciate your prayers, but... Um, but you know, we love you, and we love family, and we love the journey, and it's such a blessing uh, to be a father, it's such a blessing to be a husband, and you know, it's such a blessing to be a, a, a pastor, because you know, we love you guys, and, and really, it's, it's been such a privilege. Do you know that, that uh, a couple of weeks ago, I can't remember when did I marry Kian and Naima, uh, you know, I'm mar- I, I got to walk Naima up the aisle. I don't know where Naima is, but uh, give us a wave, Naima. Praise the Lord. She's there somewhere. But, uh, you know, and I was just thinking about how I got to, to walk Naima. I got to walk Nalini. I walked to walk Lynette up the aisle as, as a father. And, and in some ways, it's a culmination of... Of, of being a father is to walk your child yes. up the aisle. But, um, and you don't have to be a natural father. You can be, this, this is the father. thing, spiritual fatherhood. We you can never underestimate you know. the power of just taking somebody under your wing and just mentoring. And I, I love that about Pastor Philip with the guys. He just has such a heart for the men. And um, I just encourage you, you know, do that. Just, just be there for somebody. Just input into somebody's life. And you, you'll see, it'd be so, it's so rewarding as well, yeah. you know. And so there's a lot of people that have never known the love of a father or the love of a mother. And you may be that person that God uses to love somebody as a mother, to love somebody as a father, to encourage somebody. And so, you know, let's, let's, let's do our best to do that in Jesus' name.